Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Everything's up in the air. You know, if you go back to even, you know, the early days of Facebook, when I was actively playing with this, you've got uh, Facebook apps you can do one day, one day you can't. One day Facebook graph is so open, you have, you know, social media like path going, oh, we'll just assemble all these together and give you one dashboard. And then they shut that kind of stuff down. Things are so fluid and so in flux. It's like the Cambrian explosion in the dinosaurs, all these dinosaurs, and then the big ones eat the little ones and they fossilize, they calcify, right? But in that fluid period, if you're nimble, if you're moving, and if you see where things are going, because it's all moving in a direction, the path is unclear, but you know the direction it's moving. If you're actively walking that path, mega opportunities. You could turn out like Mark Cuban, who, you know, has a business that, uh, you know, made him a billionaire and kind of became nothing. What's up, guys? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazny. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen, The Greatness Machine is about two things. Number one, people are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world. Doing both of these, despite the odds against them, Each episode, we're going to feature interviews of world-class speakers and business leaders showcasing their origin story, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now, so it can help you step into your greatness within your own life, business, and career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years in entrepreneurship as a CEO to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation and messages, and I'm stoked to have you guys here. Guys, welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde, and boy, do we have a special guest for you today, my man, Daniel Murphy. What up, brother? How we doing, internet? I'm doing great. Dude, we're going to break the internet today. Um, do you mind if I do a little bit of housekeeping, brother? Please. Um, guys, uh, as you all know, my loyal, faithful Greatness Machine followers, we are The Greatness Machine. We are about two things. People are living their passions to create greatness in the world, and my man, Daniel, is neither short of passions nor greatness. And before we go there, though, I want to give you guys a quick intro on my my friend Daniel. So first of all, Daniel, um, Daniel Murphy and I met uh, in 2011. It was in this wonderful little building in San Francisco called 161 Broderick. Yeah, and best apartment I've ever had, by the way. I was his landlord. <laughs> <laughs> now, now on the surface, you're like, that's weird, man. He's like interviewing his tenant. It's like, what kind of a chop shop show is this? What you don't know is Daniel moves in, and I told my wife, I'm like. 
dude, I really, I, I mean, I was, I, I, and Daniel had heard me say this before. I was like, I was never friends with any of my tenants. I was just kind of doing my thing. They do their thing. And Daniel and I were like gangbusters. Like right away, I'm like, man, I like this guy. And um, and he lived, and I lived in his apartment at one point, and he moved in. And he like, it was this fat ass apartment. It was like San Francisco Edwardian from the early, like turn of the century. And Daniel was like the first guy that ever lived in there. It was like truly appreciated the architecture the same way I did. And so I, right away we hit it off. And he was in the advertising world working for a bunch of these badass like ad agencies straight out of, out of Madison Avenue. You were working for, what was the name of the company then? It was like it was called 11 in San Francisco. And let me just take a brief moment to plug the apartment. It was described multiple times as the best appointed straight man's apartment in San Francisco. <laughs> this guy, Darius, you know him. He spares no expense. Philippe Stark bathroom stripped to studs remodel, 12-person hot tub in the back, craned in, no doubt. Uh, it was it was a hell of a place. And I filled that hot tub. We had some fun parties at that joint. Oh, my gosh. I can't, I, I can't even go there because there was some fun parties. But, yeah, it was – it was pretty cool because I was like married and that, my one year old, my son was like two years old at the time. And then Daniel's like single, having like hot tub parties in my backyard. And my wife's like, What are you doing? I'm, like, oh, I'm gonna go barbecue in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, what's going on, guys? But yeah, we, we, we hit it off for like gangbusters, man. And we've, we've stayed friends ever since. He ended up moving to New York. And you, you know, you've done some really cool things. I want to just run through your, your bio. I mean, you've worked at Google, Google Labs, AI. I was telling um, one of my assistants a story about the, when you did the work for the Idaho like Tourist Commission, where you did like the AI automated, like you get a long skipping rock. robot, web controlled. And that was way before, I think we were the third real kind of, you know, web controlled robotics ever to happen. And you know, so cool. Sun Valley, fun times. Yeah, Sun. It was like a, it was a job for Sun Valley. But yeah, man, like you've you, you've been in this creative world. You're a serial entrepreneur. You you got your vendor DB. You're a co-founder of vendor DB. Started Seeker. I wrote writer of COVID smut. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Probably accurate. Now, yeah, I'll say this. I was early on COVID, baby. We had uh, some next door neighbors, grew up next to them. This guy, Patrick, as a matter of fact, moved to China, married a doctor. He was in Hubei province. So I'm getting reports in early January, like this thing's real. Then I have some lifelong friends in Italy, Lombardy province. In February, they're like, this is real. I literally went to the bank, got 10 grand in small bills and was ready to escape Manhattan, which I ultimately did. And then got COVID in the Midwest. So, you know, what are you going to do? I know. That's so funny. I, so I talked to you before you got COVID, but I, you did tell me the story where you got into your Porsche and drove like 120 miles an hour from New York to, to Omaha, Nebraska, which is awesome. I did. And I was spotting, this was on March 15th. So this was right when everything was popping off, especially in New York, when things were getting weird. And I had a plan where, you know, within one week of the first confirmed case, I was convinced they were going to shut down bridges and tunnels. So I had loaded up my little 911. It looked like the Beverly Hillbillies jalopy. I had a monitor in the front seat, bags to the ceiling, you know, and I got up that, you know, the 15th was like, as I remember, Friday and just hit the road. And I would video what I called Corona cruisers. These were cars going over 100 miles an hour west of Ohio with New York plates. I was like, I know what you're doing. I'm doing the same thing, buddy. Wow. That's that's funny. So, yeah, man, right now, you know, you're an agency expat. You know, you left the advertising agency world. And I mean, you spent a lot of your time there um, and, and you, you worked for Crispin, right? Yeah, in the, in and, the early days. What's that? 
Well, in the early days, they've they've kind of gone through, you know, I was there under Alex Boguski, who is, you know, the firebrand kind of founder who took that agency to what it was in kind of the, you know, mid 2000 teens. Uh, yeah. We did a lot of fun stuff. My first project was Domino's Pizza Tracker, still making people, uh, you know, fat to this day. <laughs> it's a, so yeah, so like that, that was a lot. Uh, that's probably one of the reasons why we hit it off because I love I love like the the creativity around advertising. After after um, you left that world, I ended up building an advertising agency in my company, and then um, and and got a really front row seat to seeing it. And then you ended up now you're with uh, Reset. And you guys yeah. are doing some really cool stuff. Do you mind like filling us in on that? Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you a little bit about it. So Reset's a stress company. And if there's one thing 2020 has been good for, it's stress. Mm -hmm. And there are three really awesome founders. Um, you know, the our, our you know, medical support, our chief pharmacologist, our co-founder, Dr. Eric First, a brilliant dude. He has come up with literally a pill that takes the edge off of stress. Wow. That's where we're starting anyway. And I, it seems like a ridiculous thing. And to be honest, when I joined up, I was like, eh, 50-50, it works. Princeton clinical trial, it works. Wow. So uh, it's pretty nuts. And I will say we have some mega news happening in January. Household name is hopping on board, big institutional investors. And everybody who you know took our pitch and said no is going to regret it uh, real soon. Nice. Good, good for you. And screw them. I love that. You know, they'll come back, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they you know, they, they, they place these weird bets, and then they'll, and then they'll reject like these great offerings. It's, it's, it's hard to say. It's, it depends on what their wheelhouse is, you know. And they're always late because you know what, what it is is some dude. There's like, I'm not going to get fired over taking a chance. That's what it comes down to. Like their incentive for, for success is pretty low, and they're, they're, but their incentive to fail is pretty high. Right. So to not fail is pretty high. So they're just not going to take well, credit. And let's be honest, every VC will tell you they're the casino when in fact they're the gambler. You know, oh, yeah. you get lucky, man. You get lucky. And totally. You know. 50, it's probably, you know, when, when you start looking at, you know, I mean, obviously every business is a little bit different, but if you start looking at, you know, VC funded startups, you know, the failure rate's pretty high and for good reason. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, you got, you know, I mean, you're a consumer products brand, so it's probably less. You know, at least there's something there as opposed to some software that no one uses, right? Yeah. Product. Well, but I will say the reason why I got involved with Reset is not because of the supplement. It is because of the future that gets far beyond that. Right. And app and software is a big piece of it because, you know, everybody right now is trying to sell one workout as the stress fix. It's like, oh, just meditate, become a Zen Buddhist and stress will go away. That's like a bicep curl. It's going to do one thing. And this company has a very holistic uh, approach to stress, a very easygoing approach to stress. We're not going to get mad at you if you don't count your steps and report your mood every five minutes. It's just a laid back, fun, cool company and everyone's heart's in the right place. And we're about to take off. So um, it, it, how did you guys get approval to put MDMA in your products? Uh, well, you know, that's, that's on the sly. Oh, please do not. No, 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 no. We're actually all natural. I'm not trying to show for the pill, but man, we're, we're all natural. And, uh, we're CBD. We're not even on the CBD, you know, tip. You know, CBD or MDMA or ABCD. Yeah, no, we're ashwagandha, L-theanine, 5-HTP, which is what you take after MDMA. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what MDMA is. Someone just told me that I should say those not those letters. Um, yeah, I don't know either. I was just trying to go with the flow. Yeah. So, is it like beer? <laughs> like misspelled? 
So yeah, man, I know you and I talked about this over the summer when I was launching my book. We reconnected and we hadn't talked in a while. And you you had just like you had just got to Omaha. And I'm like, what the fuck? He's in Omaha. And then you were living with your bro out there. And it was and I was like, that's pretty, you know, that's actually pretty smart. You kind of got ahead of it, right? Because the, the coast were still blowing up. Yeah. And then once that place started blowing up, you left the Midwest. You're, yeah, oh, now I'm on the beach, man. I'm uh, in between Venice and Santa Monica, right on the sand. This is my beach shack. How well, but you got COVID though, right? I did. Yeah. And, you know, I had a very, for me anyway, successful medium post about it that kind of dispelled some myths. I got, uh, you know, I came down with it in early July. Okay. And, you know, I've been back and forth to my place in New York, but it was over 14 days since I had been there. You know, it, it happened locally in Nebraska because they didn't wear too many masks and, you know, everyone was kind of chilling. But I luckily had what I would consider to be a, a medium mild case lost taste and smell. It was like a flu that lasted for two weeks. But at the end of the day, it was, you know, nothing super serious. And if it weren't for the contagion, I probably would have gone into work every day, but two, three days. Yeah. Well, and, and you were, and you were, were you, but you were working remote then. Right? Yeah, I was working remote. So, oh, okay. so, so, yeah. so, so you, but you're, I'm just you're putting saying... it in perspective. If it was a normal cold, got it, got it, it. it would, it would only been a few days. I would have been on the couch with Netflix and OJ. Yeah, it just, just, and you would have just been asymptomatically just breathing it up all over people, just, just spreading the love. So now that you've had it, are you just like, fuck, I'm cool. I, I can, I don't need to wear a condom. Let me tell you how deep I am in that raw dog world. Before I left to LA, which was just before, um, just before October, I held a little party with my cousins. You know, I'm, you know, I had my formative years in the Midwest and thought it would be a good place. Family farms and, you know, very nearby. I thought it'd be a safe place to hide out if things got real bad. So I've been kind of quarantining with all of them, except one who was a nurse and came in from Minneapolis. And it turned out my party was a super spreader event, man. Literally no seven people. I was the seventh, six out of seven, get COVID, get sick. I'm fine, no symptoms, no sickness, and I test negative. So that was at least three or four months after I had gotten it. So it proved to me, like, I'm ready to go to Vegas and uh, lick the doorknob. I got no fear. Yeah, do you, who cares if it's copper or not? You, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm like, man, you're just getting after it. You're going to France, Italy, uh, like, you know, I've been, I've been hanging out. I've been, you know, I drove coast to coast, so I saw a lot of this country and, you know, yeah. You, hey, you should just, hey, like, fuck it. You don't, you could go eat out when they start bringing their masks. You tell them to cough on you. It's like, no, I'm good. I'm safe. Yeah. No, seriously. Good. Now, you know, the science is out. If I could be a spreader, I don't know. So I'm wearing my mask. Don't, don't get it twisted out there. Internet. I know. I know. It, it, you, you believe in science. So, so, you know, but it depends on where the science comes from. Yeah, right. Sure. Yeah. Right. But, yeah. Whatever the algorithm tells me, I trust. Yeah. I, I've been wrong. Yeah, never, not even once. So, dude, so now you, you guys are you're in LA. You lived in LA though, I think once you left San Francisco for a Yeah, moment, before right? San Francisco. I was here just briefly. I was here a year, you know, followed followed a girl up to SF, you know. And yeah, I remember. Okay. So that got right. me up there. You yeah, so you that's right. So you lived in LA before SF because I met you right after you were in LA. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, but I was only here a year. Like I feel like I didn't get the full run. I was in New York eight years. Eight years was enough, especially with uh, COVID on the horizon. But, well, so, so, well, I mean, right now, though, man, L.A. and California is getting crushed. Yeah, I, 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 are you are you patient zero? Like where you go is where the COVID goes, man. Like, yeah, but look, look, I got to dispel something. A lot of this California lockdown is fake news. 
you know, really? supposed to be locked down in your house unless you got to go to the mall or go to the cigar shop or go pick up your food or shop at Whole Foods or work out on the beach or take a walk for mental health. Like it's I think it's a tough on crime stance, knowing that there's really not a lot that can be done right now. At least where I'm at on the beach, things are still all right. People are having a good time and smiling through the mask. So why are so why are people like like I've been? I mean, I try not to watch too much Facebook, although uh, obviously we create we're creating content for Facebook right now. This is the good content, but I see a lot of stuff. There's like a girl who was crying about her because they had a movie set lunch. Next well, that's real. Right. So they did shut down outdoor dining, and I saw that video, and it's tragic because yeah, it underscores a big hypocrisy. Um, you know, I, I can't say that I what I would do in the position of a governor. You know, they're just trying to minimize risk, but it does suck that people's livelihood are being taken away, yeah, their will, and no compensation. That's a bummer. I can tell you what I wouldn't do. You want to know what I wouldn't do? Fire it. I wouldn't go to French Laundry and have a mask-free party with a bunch of rich friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that definitely that's a let them eat cake moment if I've ever seen one. <laughs> <laughs> you just bust up the entomins, let them eat cake. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, the optics are poor on that. Oh, it's so bad. Like, dude, you can't be the guy that's locking shit down and shutting down businesses. And then you go into the same businesses you're closing down and have a mass free party with your homies at 400. When they said 400 bucks a head, I laughed. I was mm-hmm. like, that place is not 400 bucks is for the bread. It's like yeah. four grand a head. But you're not drinking. Yeah, I'm like, I would die to have a $400 dinner at French Laundry. Like, like they said, 400. I'm like, yeah, n- no one's having a $400 dinner there. Um, but yeah, I thought it was bad for man. You know, uh, that was, you know, you have. I, I do think that there's an empathy and look, leadership starts from the top, right? So you you have the same issue here in Austin right now. The the um, the the mayor of Austin, uh, Steve Adler had you know shut down everything but then he had a wedding and he had 20 people show up after he shut everything down and then he gets on a plane and goes to mexico and i'm like look man like you're the head of the, the city you're the head of the state in california newsome like leadership starts at the top you got a mm-hmm. bunch of people who are suffering you got to sit there sorry you don't get to go hang out for the next 18 months that's yeah. that's what you signed up for you know what i mean yeah, no, agreed. And especially this is like way past the everyone's got a phone in their pocket era. Don't think you're not going to get caught. You sure. know? Yeah, it's like and it's not like Gavin Newsom is like some innocuous person, innocuous person you don't recognize. It's like, hey, that's Gavin Newsom over there. I don't even know. I've never seen him before, but I recognize him. Right? Recognize the hair. <laughs> <laughs> and well, you and I was he got, was he mayor when we were in San Francisco together? He must have been. Yeah, I think he was sure. still mayor then. So yes, yeah. you and I. When he was, I mean, I thought he was a good mayor when he was in San Francisco. Um, you know, I mean, he, he had a bunch of drama around like sleeping with his best friend's wife. <laughs> Look, here's the thing: I don't know what happens when you become a Boy Scout leader or a priest and you get attracted to young boys or a politician and your friend's wives. There must be some transformation that occurs because they all do it. Yeah, it's kind of fucked up. So, dude. Um, Take us. Do you mind if we take a take a trip down memory lane? I want to go back to like how you got like here you are now like doing this digital advertising, working with startups. I mean, you were working at Google's AI lab. I mean, you've done some really crazy things. I want you to go. I I was telling Jade, 
who's who, by the way, guys, if you like, if you have any opportunity, ask Daniel some questions about what he does and how he does it. Learn everything you can from this guy. This guy is just a wealth of information. So drop us questions. Jade's here, ready to take the questions and shoot them over our way. But I was telling Jade, I said, you know, like Daniel's like one, like one of the most interesting people I know. I said when I first met him, I found out that he grew up in a comedy factory that his mom ran in the Midwest, which I was right. like, oh, it makes this makes sense. So take us all the way back. Like you grew up in the Midwest. Take us all the way from how you got to where you're at now. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'll try to speed wrap it, but I was born in Carmel here in California, as a matter of fact. That's a little known, a little tidbit, but had kind of some formative years from five to 10 in a suburb of Chicago. Parents divorced and then, you know, went out to Omaha, Nebraska. I've got a lot of family in the Midwest. My mom's from Iowa, that region. And my mother had been doing a lot of hospice work. Talk about going through a divorce and hospice work. I mean, that's a rough hang. Wow. And she needed to brighten her life up and got into the comedy business. And so she runs the Funny Bone in Omaha, Nebraska, over 30 years now. And wow. it was a hell of a business to grow up in. Just seeing stars before they, you know, before they became what we all know of them. And, you know, hanging out with people that should have been stars but weren't. And I do think, you know, I got some kind of latent understanding of performance and public speaking. I really enjoy it. I don't know if it comes through on a Zoom, but certainly enjoy that. And it and I credit that time for that, but also just meeting crazy characters. Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius from Shazda here, and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now. And let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. It stopped me from fully enjoying the little things in life, canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of the sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose, itchy watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now. And let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and Supply & Demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through, but then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. 
You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. You know, I went off, went to school, went to school in uh, Milwaukee, Marquette University. Definition of a misspent youth. Man, I was getting my 3.0 for the scholarship, but otherwise, man, I was at the clubs, baby. I mean, I was having a good time, bartending, um, enjoying life, and kind of continued that on post-college in Chicago. And it was honestly throwing these outlandish parties that got me into my career. I had a really best friend, good buddy, and we had an awesome spot in Chicago, Lincoln Square, and we would do these massive themed parties. We would we did a dark side of Oz where we had like the Red Bull girls show up, bartender catered, 150 people, uh, you know, 3D glasses, and we did you know the Wizard of Oz and Dark Side of the Moon sync, handed out glow sticks, tons of fun. And it was literally like a person to a person to a person talked to this guy, Dave Rolf, who is a luminary in the ad business. He was working for an agency there, a DDB, heading up production and this kind of stuff. And he thought, you know, I want to talk to that guy. He sounds interesting. I'm trying to build this group of folks that doesn't necessarily come from the industry, interesting thinkers, doers and that sort of stuff. And so had a fun conversation with the dude and he asked for my creative book. And I didn't understand that was a thing. Like that is your resume. That is every bit of work you've done. That that's right. And I talked to a friend who was employed there, and there he's like, "Wow, you this is a big deal, man. He might be thinking of hiring you. You got to put that together." Well, I didn't have such a thing, so I took the train down to Chinatown, found a box that had been to Beijing and back a thousand times, all this Chinese language newspaper, and did little dioramas of my creative expression, my writings, and you know, put put all my you know, I was working for a little kind of marketing mom and pop shop at the time, and called it TPS reports and printed it out on those old kind of you know, dot matrixy printers and put my business results in there. And really just, you know, a lot of the stuff I've been doing, you know, information about these themed parties and suspended it in all of this and took some white out and put his name on it and had it delivered in front of his door. And this box sat there because this guy was off on production or playing tennis or who knows what it sat there for a week. And it did exactly what I thought it would do was what's in the box. Oh. What the hell is in that box? And, you know, I hear that he opens a box up, thinks it's dope, thinks it's awesome. And I'm expecting another meeting or maybe I get hired a real job. DDB, they're doing Bud Light and McDonald's and this ad game could be interesting. Crickets. And then my buddy on the inside sends me a link. Dave Rolf leaves DDB, goes to Crispin Porter Bogusky in Boulder. Oh, and I, I was I was bummed. I was like, man, I put so much effort into it and was so excited about the potential of getting into this business. And then, you know, went through a big transition in life. Um, you know, I was flying too close to the sun, so gave up uh, a lot of my bad habits, meditated, all that kind of jazz. And then out of the blue, sent him an email one day and he said, hey, I'm going to be in Chicago in a couple of days. We chop it up again. He flies me to Boulder. I interview with 10 people and get hired basically get hired on the spot. What, what do they hire you? What position? 
I was a junior digital producer, interactive producer. Oh, wow. So okay. Talk well, about start start at the bottom, man. Well, but you know what's though? Like, what year is that? Like, 03, 04, 05, something like that? Uh, 06, actually. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so yeah. So, digital producer in 06 was like, well, there was no experienced people in the ad game doing that. You could have been, like, the fact that you would, were fresh out of, you know, the youth part of your life, like, you were probably more qualified than most of these people. The, the interesting thing was at that time, Crispin, which by the way, in the industry has this kind of fraught reputation of, you know, for a while they were just so dominant and doing things other people weren't doing. And, you know, then they kind of sold to a holding company and leadership changed over time and that sort of stuff. But during that vintage, it was this, you know, we're here to talk about values, right? It was this exceptionally strong culture. It was Viking Raiders, social Darwinism. They would hire people, either the best of the best, you know, the misfits or people outside the industry. And it was truly sink or swim. And, you know, Dave Rolf was, you know, a big wig. And I was, you know, under a, another top guy who was kind of running interactive, interactive production. And he sat me down on my first day. And, you know, he's got this gruff voice. And he said, you know, Dan, this place is sink or swim. And I'm looking at you and you're going to sink. <laughs> no, no, but let me finish. Let me finish. He goes, you're going to sink. But what you need to learn how to do is breathe underwater. <laughs> and that was it. That was my day one pep talk. That was day, one. That was day, day one? Day one. No truer words had been spoken because that's what that culture was. And, you know, he, was, so wait, he wasn't just mind fucking you. He was like, just oh, no, he, he was real. He was real. He, I mean, what he was telling me in so many words was this place is going to push you to your limits. It's going to extend you past your capability and you're going to be underwater, but you got to figure it out. Yeah. And you know, ultimately, over many years, I was able to do that. You know, it was when I think about that place, I'm going to I'm going to attribute this is a Chris Rock bit, but I'm going to tell you what that place was. It was like the uncle that paid for your college tuition because he molested you. <laughs> it was this, you know, I, I had more experience, more awards, more this, more that, all this kind of stuff in three years than people have over a career. But it was at the expense of 70 hour work weeks. And just really rough goes of it. I mean, it, it was the type of place you'd pull in the parking lot and there's somebody crying in the car next to you. And you just look over and you're like, man, I'm almost there. Yeah. yeah. At that time. At that time, I will say. And but, but they had a rep. Like, I knew a lot of other. I mean, you're the first person I, I talked to that worked there. But I ended up finding out like two or three other people I knew who were like super fucking legit in yeah. advertising was there like you were crossing paths with them. And they're oh, all sure. like, dude, that place was fucking amazing and gnarly. That's but what Listen to this. In 2006 and 2007, we've got a 3D printer because we're doing industrial design for clients. People talk about, you know, we're here to talk about values. One of my values is don't wait for the future. You got to go to it, right? They were deep in the internet. I mean, they were deep and they got their clients deep in the internet and they were using startup methodology in the ad world, which was, we're going to, we're going to do, we're going to outwork everybody. We're going to do 20 things and 18 are going to bomb. One's going to be okay. And one's going to be something undeniable that makes you famous. Wow. And to get 20 things done, you got to push, you know, cause they're not, you know, they're getting the same retainers that, you know, big companies pay. You got to push people to the limits to get that amount of work out the door. And you, you just have to be in different areas. I mean, like I said, one of my first projects, Domino's pizza tracker, that was the third thing you could track online. 
FedEx, UPS, and us. And it was no easy task. I mean, we were, you know, a lot of startup and a lot of things that become very successful are luck. We happen to be lucky with Domino's because in the 80s and 90s, they had that 30-minute guarantee. Right. So they had put a bunch of systems in place to track who was late. Was it the driver? Was it the guy that boxed it? How long did it take to get through the oven? But the, the shit was written in COBOL. Like it was some ancient archaic, like it was not meant to be exposed to the web. And right. so, you know, getting in there and actually figuring that out was a hell of a task. Uh, but, you know, ultimately it set so much emotion at Domino's. You know, the strategy we gave them is be the Amazon. You know, you're not, you're a technology company that happens to sell pizza. Right. And they've run with that strategy. And if you look yeah. back, you know, Domino's stock outperformed Google since that period of time. Wow. Wow. And That's so you, true. Right, though, that they, they have become like the 800 pound gorilla. I mean, they were a big company then, but. But you're right. Like I, I saw a lot about. Uh, we should we should pull their stock up. Let's let's, let's I'm gonna pull their stock yeah, up. Yeah, you man. Are you guys enjoying the show so far? Darius here, and by now you might know that I'm passionate about a few things: pizza, pink unicorns, core values, and down dirty, interesting conversation with some amazing people. However, the biggest one that I've spent most of my career on is entrepreneurship and scale. You see, look, my first few years in business, I spent like probably a good five years of my life getting my freaking teeth kicked. I mean, really getting crushed. And I learned a lot during that time period. So I spent the greater part of the last couple of years helping entrepreneurs scale their businesses in a meaningful way without going through the same growing pains that I did. And what I realized is that CEOs and business leaders don't know if they can scale and thus they do the right thing at the wrong times. This causes them to lose clarity, lose momentum, alignment, and the bottom line is you lose money. And look, you don't have to do that. It's why I created what I call the scalability assessment, and you can access it 100% for free. That's right, guys. There are perks to listening to The Greatness Machine. All you have to do is go to DariusScale.com. That's D-A-R-I-U-S scale, S-C-A-L-E.com. And there, you can check to see if your business is set up to scale properly. It's going to give you a scalability score at the end, and it's also going to give you some clarity on what you can do next. Once again, guys, that's www.itsdariusscale.com. Once again, guys, it's dariusscale.com. And now back to the show. Hey, so I want to ask you a question. I want to go back to the comedy store uh, uh, with yeah. the funny bone, your mom's spot. So... Have you seen that show? It's based on Polly Shore's mom's sure. uh, comedy, yeah, store. comedy store. Mitzi Shore. She she was uh, the OG. So they have a show on HBO that's based on her. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's a documentary. It's it's a real deal. No, you're no, talking, oh, you're talking marvelous, Mrs. Maisel. That I haven't seen. If no, no, it's not that one. It's another. It's another one. It's, uh, if you haven't seen it, then you should see it. It's pretty cool. But it shows like these people who are trying to come up in the '70s and early '80s in LA in the stand-up comedy scene, and how like cutthroat, and they're all just trying to get on what was at that time Johnny Carson's like couch, right? Yeah. So they go do their bits, and it's like if you get asked back to be on the couch, it's a bit, you, it means you you killed, yeah. and if you don't, it means you fucking sucked. And so, like, they would do their bit, and then, like, they'd, like, wave them off, and they're like, oh, my career's screwed. Or they'd come and get asked to sit on the couch. So so you said you grew up there, and you saw some some stars early in the in the early days. Who did you who, – who, any names you want to drop? Oh, man, absolutely. I mean, you know, Larry the Cable Guy is a, is a family friend and super nice dude, and I saw him at the beginning of his career. And, wow. you know, he had an interesting career because he took off because of radio. He was like the last star to do it over radio. 
And he would call into all these radio shows, these local shows in the morning as Larry the Cable Guy. And people thought he was a local dude. You know, everyone thought he was, you know, their Larry. And, you know, he started doing that act and bringing people out and absolutely took off. And, you know, and I believe this to be the case, um, you know, Eisner or some Disney, you know, big wig, their, their daughter or child hears him and, and he goes, this is perfect for uh, the voice of Mater, Cars. And, you know, that he, he had so many different, you know, fun evolutions of his career, but he's one of them. I mean, I'll tell you, I had wild times with Tracy Morgan. This really? was just in the beginning of 30 Rock Days. So wow. he hasn't been that was a big day. show, too. Huge show. Yeah. He, he uh, called me Trap back then because he said, my baby face traps the ladies. And you, know, you got to wind, wind it back. I mean, that was 20 years ago. He said, you still got a baby face a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So you live uh, in big cities, so that that takes out that that thins out the baby phase. But yeah, that, that's true. But it's also it, it's been really awesome to see these hilarious guys that I've known for for so long finally coming up. Uh, you know, good buddy of mine, Pete Lee, uh, just hilarious dude that I've known for a long, long time. Like, check him out out there. And it's been interesting because I watched really the camaraderie change in comedy because the business model shifted. So that show you were talking about, that used to be the game. It was, you know, I'm going to work my way up. I'm going to eat shit often for a decade, starting at a barely paid MC, a middle, a feature, driving around the country, living in shitty hotels, and then maybe get seen and maybe get on Carson. And then Carson or Leno might get me, you know, to get a pilot read or, or to be right. part of a sitcom or to maybe get in a movie. But the seats at the networks back then were so few. So it was really cutthroat. You know, there wasn't a lot of, you know, you, you were, it was scarcity, scarcity economics. However, things have shifted and now it's about the internet and everyone can have a podcast. Everyone can have a following. There's strength in numbers. And when you get that kind of following, then your shows blow up, you know, the in-person shows and you can charge more money and get sponsorships on your own. So so it's flipped and now all these comedians are in it together to a degree and friends and and um you know it, it's great to see uh the name of the show is i'm dying up here okay, okay yeah it. yeah that that shows so a great show and to your point though there's a bit it's been democratized right mm -hmm. so the, the com comedy has been democratized now at the same time and it's also gotten fucked because of cancel culture so, but there's, you know, there's a double-edged sword to that, right? True. Because when the world is cancel culture, comedy is the last bastion of truth. You got Bill Burr going on Saturday Night Live calling out white women. You got Dave Chappelle, who's uncancelable at a certain point. Totally uncancelable. Who, who is honestly, the, he's our modern day philosopher. He I is somebody him. speaking truth to power. He is somebody out there changing the world. And his authenticity hits you to the core and you can't deny it. You can't deny it. what he's saying. And I've always said that comedy is the world's most honest art form. So hear me out on this one. You know, it is a it is a practice, a discipline, an art. You don't have a backup band. You don't have pyrotechnics. You don't have set design. It is you there naked with a microphone. And you are trying to elicit an involuntary reaction. This isn't golf where you get the little clap or theater you got to get people to laugh and belly laugh. And, you know, that's an uncontrollable thing, like a sneeze to a degree. And then on top of all of this, you're doing it in front of drunk people and the culture lets them yell at you. Yeah. Like, you can't do that in ballet. Fuck your pirouette. 
you know, <laughs> it is a crazy thing. And, you know, there's people from all walks of life, all backgrounds that one day wake up and go, you know what? I have this perspective on life. I've got a truth. I've got a voice. I'm going to quit whatever is paying my rent and go out and eat shit for a decade to get people to laugh. Yeah, that's brutal. And I love that. I love where you went with the fuck your pirouette because it's true. Like, yeah, no one's like, oh, that, they, they'd say that sucked behind their breath. Right. But the, no one screams, you suck. No one yeah. screams that at a dance recital. Right. Yeah. But on comedy, you're right, man. They were clown. They're like clowning is part of the culture, right? Part of it. Now, to a degree, like the bouncers are going to throw the hecklers out if yeah. they're extreme. But, you know, groans and boos are part of the game. So, so your mom, so, so, uh, and I just want to touch on this for a, another minute, but then I want to go. I, I did look up the, um, the Domino's pizza. You're right. 10, 10x, almost 10x in value. And that, and it, it dropped. If you go to the bottom, like 08, 09, probably 15x. Pizza company, 15 times the stock value in like 12, 13 years. Yeah. Google's like around nine. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. And you're an ex Googler, so you know all about that. Yeah. You know, and, and I'll just, Add a little clarity. I went through a place in Google called Creative Lab, and we worked with a lot of ML almost exclusively, in fact. And it, it keeps an exceptionally low profile online, so I'm not at liberty to talk about everything they do there. It's based out of New York, London, Sydney, that that sort of stuff. So I wasn't officially in DeepMind or an AI group, but everything I did there at some point had a hand into machine learning, which really, I mean... The beauty part of being on the inside at a place like Google is you don't guess where the future is going because you're building it. You know, you know where things are going to be in five years because you're doing the thing now. Um, I, I see a, a question out there. Is my mom a comedian? She's not, in fact. And, you know, she just kind of got into it. She needed to get out of a depressing line of work and had the opportunity to get into an interesting line of work. And then over, uh, you know, just really many months kind of took it over as general manager and got some equity over time. And it kind of became her club. That's so, so wait, so, so did she, when, when you say, did she actually own the entire club at, or did she just own a piece? Uh, of part, part owner. There's other investors involved. Oh, in oh that's cool. I mean, it had been established before she uh, brought us to Nebraska. That's, that's pretty amazing. And so she went from one end of the spectrum to the other. She's like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm in hospice care. Uh, I can't watch people cry anymore. I just want to watch people get drunk and laugh all day. Yeah, yeah laughing or dying. And I, I got to say, like, she needs to write a book about the 30 years in that business because the things she, there's been riots, there's been lawsuits. There, I mean, so much crazy stuff has happened. It's it's worth, uh, you know, like comedy unfiltered, you know, behind the curtain. Yeah, no, it, 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 that's 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 insane. So so let's go. Let's go to Google, though, right now. So sure. so. When you say you were, that group was that was was that the NSA of Google like no such agency? Could, no, I mean they're very exceptionally well known and highly regarded within the walls, and it's you know a group of folks. It's somewhat like an incubator of you know ideas and user experience design and and you know things that become part of Google products and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, some expats from the ad world, so I you know knew a few folks on the inside, and they helped me you know pass through for a bit of time. And you get a chance to work with a lot of other groups at Google. So I worked with Google Trends and Google Translate and, you know, a whole slew of others. And um, it was it was an amazing point in time. Um, you know, looking back on it, I was concurrently building VendorDB, my startup that I talked about. And right. 
had an opportunity to leave to kind of go back into the ad world, like ad world adjacent. I mean, it was an agency called Deutsch, which, you know, New York and L.A. based big agency, fun, big clients. They had a really interesting, um, small kind of nascent machine learning group called Great Machine. Awesome name. And I, I wasn't uh, so in love with the ad part of it, but I was really in love with what's happening in machine learning. And so I went there and uh, had some you know, kind of nominal success. We, we had some, some big name clients that uh, I don't know if they're on the website yet, but we did some projects and things like that. But ultimately, you know, the startup opportunity, you know, Darius, you and I, we, we want the home runs. You know? Yeah, yeah the home runs. Yeah, we want to get it on the ground. Yeah, no, no, it's well. It's cool to start things up before there's something, you know. That, that's 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 it's there's a there's it, it, that infancy and getting something going from there. It's just a cool feeling. You rather a person that likes doing it, or you don't because it's it's you grind. It's hard, and there's there's not a lot of resources, but but there's something I don't know, like poetic about that, you know. The the thing that you know stops immediately. There's no bullshit. No. It, is every, it is like the direct path to the thing you need to do. Uh, there's there's no politics. I mean, I'm sure to size there's politics, but it's just all about action. Um, it's not meetings, man. There's no meetings. It's doing. And I, I find myself much happier in that space. Yeah, no, it, it, the, the, the politics of growth and, and that's, you know, that's its own, uh, that, that it's, it's pretty disgusting and it's hard. You have to be vigilant about eliminating it as you grow. I have a question though, because you, you know it's funny when we've talked about this casually around you know machine learning. What if for for a, a human being that does not know what is machine learning? Like, give me an example of that. Yeah, just really simple. Um, you know, there's a Venn diagram easily Googleable that, that talks about neural nets, machine learning, and AI, and they're somewhat subsets of AI. But just think of it very simply. Magic happens when computers can program themselves at computer speed. So I will argue, you know, you and I both lived through three major tectonic plate shifts in technology, and they seem to follow a similar pattern. And, and maybe at the end of this, I can talk about another venture that I'm involved with right now that I've kind of started. Yeah. You, know, you get a major shift in hardware. So if you go back to the early Internet, it is PCs and modems. It's like, oh, for the first time, this hardware allows us to kind of talk to one another. Mobile social, which I think is the next major shift. I got the iPhone. You know, you got uh, you know, social media to a degree. On top of that, typically is a base layer of open source software. So you had HTML, you had accessible things on that front, and that democratizes it within developers. And it lets everybody build an app layer on top of that. Here's, here's what this new technology can do to solve a problem or create a business, or things like that. And then there is this awesome period where everything's unwritten. Everything's up in the air. You know, if you go back to even, you know, the early days of Facebook, when I was actively playing with this, you've got uh, Facebook apps you can do one day. One day you can't. One day Facebook graph is so open, you have, you know, social media like path going, oh, we'll just assemble all these together and give you one dashboard. And then they shut that kind of stuff down. Things are so fluid and so in flux. It's like the Cambrian explosion and the dinosaurs, all these dinosaurs, and then the big ones eat the little ones and they fossilize, they cal calcify, right? But in that fluid period, if you're nimble, if you're moving, and if you see where things are going, because it's all moving in a direction, the path right. is unclear, but you know the direction it's moving. If you're actively walking that path, mega opportunities. You could turn out like Mark Cuban, who, you know, has a business that, uh, you know, made him a billionaire and kind of became nothing. You know, I, I look back in mobile social, like at the same time, there was 
Instagram and Hipstamatic. They kind of did the same thing, but just one little UX tweak, one you've never heard of, the other sold cheap at a billion dollars. Right. So, you know, right now we are living through this untelevised machine learning revolution. So you have, you know, a, a lot of open source languages. You've, you've got uh, the compute on your GPUs now. If you've got a gaming PC, it's distributed up in the cloud, AWS, and all that kind of stuff. And things have changed and we've noticed it's changed, but we haven't exactly found ML to be this proximate cause. Remember a time when you could go onto YouTube and watch a few things and leave, and now it's a black hole? You know, remember a time when Facebook was actually reverse chronological and you would get diverse opinions and now it's just kind of wicked filter bubble. You know, you have Netflix. People don't realize every tile is custom made for you. It's not just the selection. It's wow. literally like when I see Scarface, it's Michelle Pfeiffer. You know, it's not Al Pacino. You know, it, it's nuts. So we are all living in our own Truman show right now. And it's having horrible consequences with society. But that's the new game. Right. So we're in this place on top of machine learning. There's all these communication solutions, all of these different apps and, and software solutions. And there's this data side of it, which is about intelligence and prediction. And that's really smart. But there's a creation side and it's all quite nascent. It's like, you know, Google's duplex that recreated the human voice. Perfect with ums and ticks and things like that. And Liarbird was a startup that did it and they got bought by, you know, they, they became, you know, Descript's overdub. And like, well, now you can take text and make it perfect human speech. You can take data and make it Shakespearean text. There's companies doing that. That's really good. There's scary stuff. You put two lines of your, um, you know, high school essay in there. It'll fill the thing out. And you're like, how did it do that? This is really real. Um, you, you know, now you can start daisy chaining stuff in together with video and you can have deep fake levels or different recuts and re-edits and all this stuff. So for the first time, if you're in the marketing and communication space and you're really bold and you're playing with these tools, think of the Super Bowl when everybody on the other side of the Apple TV gets their own personal spot. Right. With the music that they like, with the actor, with a background image, with a family that looks like their family. I mean, it's going to be wicked. And it's already happening. Like the precedent is there on the social media feeds. It's just whether or not, um, you know, people can learn to use these tools, can understand how data integrates, can connect the pipes in a way that's potentially proprietary or IP. So I have, you know, uh, built a business with a very small team to do just that. And it has, uh, you know, potentially some major, major backing. And in January, I'm, you know, hopefully going to have a, a public unveiling of what this enterprise is. But it's a very, very interesting time to play with this stuff. Wow, dude, I know you can't say what it is, but like, you got me hanging here. You left me hanging. Like, like, what, what does that even mean? What does that even mean? What you just said? <laughs> well, well, you know, I, I could talk about the destination because everyone kind of understands. Yeah. Tell me the destination that this business would take us to. Yeah, well, actually, let me start with what advertising was, you know, and maybe a bit of where it is. And then this destination, which I definitely strongly believe is the future. And I'm betting my career on it to a degree. You know, when you had three channels on your TV with rabbit ears, all you really had to do is say, drink more Ovaltine enough. People would go out and buy that Ovaltine, right? You had audiences that had attention to this new technology, you know, they, they would hear your message. Now, if you were Don Draper, then you had this special ability to find that typo negative blood. 
You could find that message that was broadly resonant, or you could find that moment in culture that you could, you know, hop onto, and then you could do something special. Modern advertising was built in that world, and everyone was sold as the Don Draper, right? Every agency had a crazy creative lead, and you know, since they've kind of emerged to a creative process or a creative plus data process and all that kind of shit, mm-hmm. and what they really are, they're bullshit artists. They can have a great meeting. If they really did what they said they did in the pitch, every company would have a just do it for every client, right? We have fractured the attention so many ways with the exception of sports, maybe. You don't get that anymore, but you've built a business on it. You know, worse yet, the financial incentive of the business has been horrific. It has been exchanging time for dollars. You were never able to find a way to go, I'm charging you a million bucks a commercial no matter what. So what happened is the industry got bloated over time because, you know, when you're cha- changing time for money, add more bodies, add more bodies. So you wind up in a room with 50 people with opinions, most of them not doing anything. And, you know, you're, you're building static media for a mass audience. The reality we face now is that everyone has fractured attention on the other side of a screen, multiple screens, often at the same time. And what Google Spotify, Netflix, Facebook, what they've all proven is we all want our own little medicine. You know, we all take the guacamole a bit different. But if you can figure out through data exactly how to do that, which isn't difficult, on the one hand, we're unique snowflakes. On the other hand, getting to what that design is has never been easier in a sense. Now, all of a sudden, instead of mass marketing, you're programming one to one. And that is definitely the future that we're headed into. Interesting. So, so, is this like essentially the future of ad agencies? If you even want to call is an ad agency, even a thing in this new. Yeah, it's, I really don't like, I don't like the term agency and I, and I don't like any connotation with ad agency partially because they're too focused on a really narrow paid part of comms. You know, I, I want to inject data about that person into Salesforce. You know, I want to get much further up the spectrum of experience you have with a brand or a company or a product. I want to change the product, you know, Uh, and, you know, we we have a very interesting methodology to do this, which I think is different than other folks that are, you know, it's no big secret that there's a lot of players in this space. You know, you've got a startup insurgency. They're solving little little bits of it with their tools. You got the big players, the Googles and IBMs, you know, either offering consultancy type services or, you know, big broad platforms, you know, um, but we're, we're doing it slightly different. And um, hopefully when I have the site up and uh, I can tell you exactly how and what we're doing, we'll, we'll chat again. Dude, well, we should chat offline about it. We're- <laughs> yeah, yeah, that we can do. I'll sign an NDA. I want to, I want to hear more about it. Um, well, man, dude, you blew my mind. Um, look, I know you got a lot going on. We put some of we, in the show notes, we got reset. Um, I know you got vendor DB, which, which I, we got a couple minutes. Do you want to talk about vendor DB? Cause that's the little engine that could, that's still up and running that you started sure. with yeah. a decade yeah. ago, right? Yeah, absolutely. It is. And so, you know, the insight that, that kind of started vendor DB was, Within our little industry, there was massive pressures on budgets that's kind of continued. And so there was, you know, more uh, outreach to small production shops and vendors. Plus, there was technology exploding. So if you've never done AR before, 
um, or VR, like where do you even go, right? So we saw this need of, you know, figuring figuring out the, the connection between these shops and then brands or, or other folks that would hire them. And, you know, effectively it was just Yelp for creative services. We went out there and hand built with 10,000, you know, at the start, the best of the best out there, let you search with natural language, let your friends and, and other folks out there comment on how the how they were. Um, ultimately put a private layer that we call VendorDB confidential on top of the thing. So if you're an organization and you want to, you know, put the real amount you've paid, the cell phone of the CEO, the honest to God experience you had with them, then you can start capturing that knowledge and make it institutional knowledge instead of, you know, somebody leaves or gets fired and you forget what was it like to work with so-and-so. Right. That's so cool. So you guys are still doing that. And you and you said something before the show that you think that there's a chance of that. I mean, it's still around. It's functioning that there's something more you can do with that. What, what well, you- the interesting thing now is a lot of people are waking up to the value of data. You know, so VendorDB has been around maybe six years, seven years. Um, you know, LinkedIn will, will say it. Well, we've been using Keen.io and, and we have a ton of data about everyone. You know, 100,000 users, so pretty modest in the startup world, but we're niche about everybody. Oh, you search for so-and-so director, and then who do you go to next? Or how long do you stay on this page? Or did you click the button to call them? And really, you know, global trends as well. So, you know, the big buzzword last year was, you know, augmented reality, and this year it is blank. And so I think, you know, more interesting than even our function to users is the data that we've now captured over a period of time. And look, I got so much on my plate right now. Somebody just buys for the data. You know, <laughs> bias. We'll give it, through. and we have a virgin email list. In six years, we've only emailed people twice. Wow. We have a very kind of like Amazon approach of we don't want to burden our people. Just you know, just use the service and you know, enjoy. Very cool, man. Well, dude, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show. Why don't you give the audience where they can find you? I mean, you're doing so many cool things. I know you got the the stealth mode biz. You got reset. You got VendorDB. You got your medium smut that I love. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, maybe medium is the best. And to be honest, I got to open up a tab because I, I do some interesting stuff there. Uh, it's medium and it's at Daniel Q Murphy. Q Quinn is my middle name. Um, you, you can go look at some of my predictions that they've been re- mildly accurate. I, I'll say this regardless. Of, I, and, and I do agree like you do have some accuracy in, in your writings, but Dude, forget about the accuracy. You're a, you're a great writer. I mean, like your writing is fun. It's entertaining. You have it's it, it's like having this conversation. You talk a little bit. You're, I like I write the way I talk. We talk shit when we talk, but that's how we talk in real life. So I, I do love your writing, man. And you you're you're a great writer. And you're a super creative guy and very talented. So yeah, check out. Why don't we do that? Um, let's get the medium. We'll get that out. Um, can you look it up, Jade? It's uh. Was it Daniel Q. Murphy? Yeah, right? I'll just put it in. I'll put it in the channel right now. Yeah, let, yeah. Let's put it in the channel so we can share it with people, so people could check you out, guys. Check out a uh, Daniel, my 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 man here at um, at any of the places. The reset is doing some really cool things to reduce the stress. Uh, where can they find you on LinkedIn? LinkedIn, all, uh, I know you're on a lot of the social. So where yeah, can- yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I'll, I'll throw, I'll toss LinkedIn there as well. Uh, I can't remember. You know, probably just Dan Q Murphy, Daniel Q Murphy, something like that. Now, I do have a benefit being the most generic Irish name on the planet <laughs> keeps me low. All my uh, misdeeds don't show up on Google. So I know. I, Daniel yeah. Murphy. 
don't. There's tons of them. Yeah. yeah you don't. Like, hey, you know another way to fuck yourself is have the name Darius Mershaz Day. <laughs> like, like I, you know, there's only one Darius Mershaz Day in probably the whole world. <laughs> very Googleable. Yeah, very. Like, you don't ever want to fuck up if you're me. Well, man, dude, what a pleasure having you, my friend. So we got your Dude, you're you're. I love you, brother. It's so fun hanging out with you and bullshitting. And, and likewise, I always learn when I when I talk to you. Oh, that's great, man. Dude, so yeah, guys. Hey, connect with Daniel. He's doing some cool things. If you are like in need of of a of a creative digital ML, like this guy is like. If you're looking for someone for your boards or for the startups you're working with, Daniel's your guy. I've always like, man, I gotta figure out a way where Daniel and I can work together. But mm-hmm. who knows, man? We're gonna have to talk about really it. Soon. They're, yeah, they're, we'll more offline. Yeah, for sure. We'll take that offline. But guys, hey, listen, what a great show. On my side, uh, next week, we got Dr. Jeff Spencer. So Dr. Jeff Spencer was Tiger Woods' coach. He's his wow. performance coach. He's a, he was the, he's an Olympian, and he was a 1972 Olympian, uh, cycling Olympic, and he was an Olympic coach, and he was Lance Armstrong and Tiger Woods' coach. And I heard through the grapevine, he actually did a bunch of work with you too. So my man... Is coming on the show, Dr. Jeff Spencer. I mean, we got, dude, we got Daniel Murphy, Jeff Spencer. I mean, the lineup keeps getting hot. <laughs> so I'm, I'm pumped. I'm pumped to have him. I'm so pumped to have Daniel. Guys, on my side, check out the book. Review the book, The Core Value Equation. I'm trying to get this stuff. It's banging. Um, I'm looking for, for to really support the book. Buy it for someone over the holiday season. And uh, check me out at www.therealdarius.com. Sign up for my social. Sign up for the newsletter. And follow us on YouTube. With that said, we're out of here, you guys. Peace. We love you. You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Guys, The Greatness Machine is all about two things. People who are living their passions and those who are creating greatness in the world. And we feature these messages and speakers so it can help you step into your greatness within your own life and your own business. If you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform you're tuning in from. And leave us a review. We love getting reviews for the show. If the episode made you think of someone who is leveling up in their business and life, print screen it, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to learn from one another. You can also go to our website, www.thegreatnessmachine.com. That's www.thegreatnessmachine.com. And on there, you'll see special tools to help you scale your business faster, show notes for the episode to help you integrate the lessons, and You will also get links that came out during the show. So on there, look, you can also grab a copy of my book, The Core Value Equation, which is a resource for helping CEOs and business leaders establish core values from their teams that don't suck. And mind you, a lot of them suck. Get access to this and more at www.thegreatnessmachine.com. With that said, you guys, look, thank you so much. I appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We out of here. See you guys next time. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, 
Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's going to push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.